This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Uh, well, this is a great day to celebrate. I'm really excited about this message. We're going to uh, continue transforming practices. Uh, but as a way of celebrating, our, our practice today is going to be celebration. We're going to be talking all about celebration. And I wanted to celebrate some of the great uh, dads that we have in this room. So please, will you welcome to the stage. We've got four great people, two sons, two fathers. We've got Tom and we've got Ben and we've got Reuben and we've got Joe. Hi, everybody. We okay? We're good, thanks. Excellent. Well, we are delighted today to be celebrating all the fathers. There's going to be loads of cool stuff uh, outside for our Father's Day fiesta. But Ben, my question to you, this is Ben, this is his dad, Tom, and uh, we've also got a brother, Harvey. Uh, but Ben, why don't you tell us, what is it that you love about your dad? What do you want to celebrate about your dad? I don't know. It's so hard. There's so much that I could celebrate about my dad. But I think my, one of my favorite things is that my dad is such a servant-hearted person. He's always got people at the center of, of um, what he's thinking about. And yeah, like growing up and things like that, like my family fosters and yeah, just like the incredible privilege that is, but also like seeing my parents and especially my dad sharing his heart with all these people, yeah. sharing his fathership with all these people. And that just, yeah, just really touched me. I love it. That's great. That's great. Yeah, that is worthy of an applause. That is so good. <laughs> Tom, how are we feeling? Emotional? You okay? No, I'm just glad I'm sat down so I don't have to, <laughs> you know. And, and Tom, we, we honor you. You're, you're so awesome. Such a great dad to Ben and to Harvey and have provided care and support and love and affection and encouragement for so many others. As, you've, as Ben said, as you've been a foster parent. So what have you done? What have you built into being a dad? And maybe I could ask the question just the simplest way. What do you love about being a dad? I love everything. I think <laughs> uh, I'm a proud dad. I'm extremely proud of both boys and the characters that they've become. Uh, and I think as a dad, I'm learning from them just as much as they look to me. I think the privilege I get as a foster dad is that the world doesn't always give a good dad figure mm. and I get to try and be that to people who haven't experienced that so I'm That's learning so all good. the way uh, Ben's 20 in August and I'm still learning uh, I learn from them just as much as they look to me uh, it's just an extreme privilege and I'll never forget that that's awesome thanks so much Tom that's amazing there you go. amazing so Joe we'll hear from you in a minute and Joe you've just become a dad again Amazing. Congratulations. It's so good. Uh, but Ruben, let's hear from Ruben. Uh, Ruben, you're one of our Life Kids superstars. Uh, I know you're awesome. Ruben, we're in Life Kids upstairs. As soon as you ask a question, Ruben's the first to answer any question, the first to volunteer. Uh, so Ruben, my question to you is, what is it that you want to celebrate about your dad? What do you love about your dad? Daddy teaches me everything. He teaches you everything. Amazing. That's so good. So we're, we're interested, Ruben. What kind of things does he teach you? Football. Football. Fantastic. So has he taught you well? Has he taught you to support a good football team? Let's, let's see. Who Man do you support? United. Man United. Man United. I told you, get some 
What's he whispering now? What's he saying? I, I just pre-warned him that he'd get some booze for saying that. You got a few. You got a few applauds though as well. And uh, are you good at shooting? Are you good at saving? What's your dad taught you? What are you good at when you play football? Goalkeeper. Do you score loads Goalkeeper. of goals? Goalkeeper. Brilliant. That is so good. Well, you're at a different stage of parenting, a different stage of fatherhood to to little ones. But Joe, tell us, what have you built in? What are kind of some of the practices or what do you what do you love about being a dad? Um, do you know, I think what, what we try and do is just give, give Ruben as many real experiences as we can do, really. We want, I want him to discover everything that's good about the world, discover yeah, life, discover all the, all the really great stuff. Um, and um, obviously part of our parenting, not just my parenting, is to try and fill his life with joy as much as possible. That's awesome. And, and obviously healthiness, but, you know, if, if, if Ruben wants to dance, we'll dance with him. If he wants Come to on. sing, we'll sing with him. And then, and then really it's just showing him the Ruben, source. Ruben, do you want to dance right now with your dad? <laughs> no, no, okay. He probably Carry on, would. Um, and then we just try and show him that, you know, that God's the source of that, really. That's awesome. That is so good. Well, can we honour and celebrate these two wonderful dads? You can, um, you can go. Thank you, Ruben. Good job, Ruben. You're brilliant. Well done. Excellent. Well, we're talking about transforming practices, disciplines or habits in our lives that transform us from the inside out. So our transforming practice that we're looking at today is the transformative practice of celebration. We're talking about celebration. And, and for some of us, as, as Matt said, today might be a, a difficult day. Today might remind us of painful or difficult times. And you might be asking, well, why, why celebrate? Why celebrate fathers or why celebrate anything? Maybe, maybe that's what you're carrying today. Maybe not, because actually when the weather comes, uh, in, in, as it has done, when the sun shines, everybody seems to be brighter. Apart from the hay fever sufferers, anyone else? You're like, you remember, oh, the sun, come on, bring the sun. And then when the sun comes, you remember, it, um, it crushes us, <laughs> those hay fever sufferers. But maybe, maybe today, uh, it does have some pa- painful um, reminders, but why do we celebrate? Why celebrate? Well, we celebrate to mark meaningful moments. That's why we celebrate. We celebrate to mark meaningful moments or to mark uh, things that, or people that we want to celebrate, people that we want to honor, people that we want to lift up. Celebration is a key part of life. And, and here's a story uh, from scripture uh, that I'd love to read. Actually, before I do that, I'd love to celebrate uh, one person as well in the room because my dad's here today on this Father's Day. Um, Dave Baker, you don't have to call him dad, he's my dad, but you can call him Dave if you want. And I want to celebrate uh, the, the love and the grace and the kindness that I've seen modeled in my dad, the spirit of adventure. Uh, I love that actually he's living more adventures now probably than ever before, uh, always wanting to make a difference in the community. Uh, that's something I observed a few years ago. I had this moment where I saw my dad doing his work as a youth worker, and I was sat in this audience as, uh, as he was honoring and celebrating other people, and I sat there and I thought... I am my father's son. Like everything that he's doing with my life, that is what I want to do uh, with my life. And of course, most of all, well, no, most of all, I want to celebrate that he brought me up uh, to love Jesus. But he also brought me up to love Liverpool Football Club. So thanks, Dad, uh, for that. <laughs> Why celebrate? Well, before I read a story to us from Scripture, here's what uh, Richard Foster says in his book, The Celebration of Discipline. He says this, Celebration is central to all the spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull. Celebration is so important. So why do we celebrate? 
Well, I want to propose to you, I think one of our key reasons why we celebrate is because God is a God of celebration. And here's my story. This story is not going to be on the screen, but this is the the Genesis story, the story of the creation of the universe. It's the first story in the Bible, uh, but I want to read uh, the version from the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is the the version that they'll be taught uh, upstairs. This is the Bible that we use upstairs in Life Kids. And when I read it in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's like, "This this is so good. In the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see. Only emptiness and darkness and nothing but nothing. But God was there and God had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness and I'll fill it. Out of the darkness, I'm going to make light. And of the nothing, I'm going to make everything. Like a mother bird flutters her wings over her eggs to help her babies hatch, God hovered over the deep, silent darkness. He was making life happen. God spoke. That's all. And whatever he said, it happened. God said light, and light shone into the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. You're good, God said, and they were. God said sea and sky, and a great space opened up, wide and deep and high. You're good, God said, and they were. God said land, and splashing up through the oceans came cliffs, mountains, and sandy beaches. You're good, God said, and they were. Trees, grass, flowers, God said, and everything, everywhere, burst into life. He made buds bud, shoots shoot, and flowers flower. You're good, God said, and they were. Stars, God said, sun, moon, and whizzing into the darkness came fiery globes spinning around and around, whirling orange and purple and golden planets. You're good, God said, and they were. Birds, God said, and with a fluttering and flapping and chirping and singing, birds filled the skies. Fish, God said, with a darting and dashing and wriggling and splashing, fish filled the seas. You're good, God said, and they were. Animals, God said, and everyone came out to play. The earth was filled with noise. You're good, God said, and they were. God saw all that he had made and he loved them. But God saved the best till last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children and the world would be their home. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they saw was God's face. God loved them with all of his heart and declared that they were very good. I love that. I don't know about you. If you've not read it, the Jesus Storybook Bible, awesome. Really, really good. But here's what I want to point out from this story, the creation story, the first story in the Bible. It starts with God working, the work of creation. And work is good. Work is a good practice. Work is a good thing to do with our lives. Work and creativity. And for those who know the story, the story ends with rest. So work and creativity and rest are both really important practices that we'll talk about at other times. But hopefully you notice this repetition in the story that God made something and then what did he say? God made something and then did he hear what he said? You're good. You're good. And they were. He named this, uh, the, the animals. 
You know, he named the stars, he named the, the planets, and then he saved the best till last, humanity, men and women. He breathed life into them, and he said, you are especially good. You are very good. You are a gift. So what does God do in the first story in Scripture? He creates, and then he celebrates. <laughs> like everything he makes, he then celebrates. It's almost like he has a little dance, like a little party in heaven, where he makes something. He says, this is really good. He creates, then he celebrates, then he rests. And we see this pattern all throughout the Old Testament. If you look up the word uh, celebration in the Old Testament, in the, in the first uh, part of the Bible, if you look up the word celebrate or celebration, what you'll see is God inaugurating festivals where God's people or God has worked, they've done something, and then they stop they pause and they celebrate. What do I mean by that? Well, they have a party. They have a big community get-together. They have food and music and dancing. And the whole family is there. And everybody celebrates. If you look in the book of Exodus, you'll just see celebration after celebration after celebration. Where the people have worked, they've created, they've done, they've done the hard work. And then they stop and they say, let's have a celebration. One of my favorite celebrations in the, in the Old Testament is called the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, all, all the different festivals are, are named feasts. The Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the people of God remember that once upon a time they were slaves. They lived as slaves in Egypt. And then God led them out of slavery through the desert. And so at Tabernacles, they camp. They build booths. They build tents. They build little shelters. And for a week... They go outside and they camp in the desert as a family uh, and as a reminder of who they are in God. They, they go on a little camping trip. It's awesome. The Festival of Tabernacles. Now, that's what the, the Jewish people did and that's what the Jewish people do. But we also have these celebrations. We also have these festivals, these markers where we stop and we remember. We stop and we celebrate. You may have heard of one of them called Christmas. This story of God's love, this story of God's gift, this story that centers on a family. So what do we do at Christmas? Well, we stop with our family and we remember and celebrate with the people that we love and we exchange gifts. Why? Because we're celebrating. Now, maybe for some of us, we, we miss the point of the story or for some people in our culture. But why do we celebrate Christmas? Because kind of every day is Christmas Day. You know, every day is Father's Day. You know, every day we can celebrate the people that are meaningful in our lives, but there's a time in our culture where we stop and we celebrate, and our celebration is marked around the point of the story. Uh, one of my favorite uh, American holidays, um, the Americans bring lots of things to our culture and to our world, but one of the great things they bring is Thanksgiving, uh, the fa Thanksgiving festival or celebration, where as a nation they stop and they uh, remember, they spend time together with family, and they bring their thankfulness. They remember to stop and to say thank you. So why do we celebrate? Well, because God is a God of celebration. Why do we celebrate? We celebrate to mark meaningful moments, or to mark meaningful people in our lives. So what could the transforming practice of celebration look like? What I want us to do is, just for a few moments, is look in the book of John. And we're going to look at the life of Jesus and see what he did to inaugurate or to celebrate. Um, what did he practice in his own life? So the book of John. Here's a few things I'd love to point out. 
The first thing is this, is that the book of John actually starts with a parallel of the Genesis story and introduces, introduces Jesus uh, as God, as the life and the creativity uh, and the power and the love of God. But then in John 2, we have a really interesting, curious story. So it's going to be on the screen, or you can turn to it in your Bibles. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So we're looking now at the question, okay, how does Jesus practice celebration in his own life? John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Then he told them, sorry, they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till last. This, the first of the miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He revealed his glory to his disciples and they put their faith in him. What a bizarre story. What a curious story. And I don't know, sometimes if you interact with the Bible and you think, how did that end up in there? (laughs) What what does this story teach? What is going on in this story? This is Jesus' first miracle. This story ends with the line that Jesus revealed his glory to his disciples. And at this moment, his disciples believed who he was. What is going on here? Nobody gets raised from the dead. You know, nobody gets healed of a sickness. Uh, There's no, like, incredible uh, words, no incredible preaching. Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding reception, at a wedding party. What on earth is going on here? What's going on here, from what I can see, is that... Uh, of course, like at any party, at any wedding party, the responsibility for hospitality and for catering is on the family, isn't it? It's on the family to provide enough food and drink uh, to keep the party going, to make sure this is a party remembered for all the right reasons. Have you been to a gathering that was remembered for all the wrong reasons? You know, can you imagine going to this party and it's remembered uh, for when the food ran out or when the food was bad? or um, when, when the party fizzled out and, and Mary appears to be in either, she just wants to be involved because some people just want to be involved in fixing everything or want to be involved in everybody's uh, issues, or she is actually part of the family. This is maybe part of her family. And she is taking responsibility and she leans on Jesus. She says, Jesus, we need to do something. And Jesus, it appears, doesn't seem to be that concerned <laughs> Until maybe he realizes that what's going to happen is that this family is going to experience shame. Shame is going to come to this family. They're going to be shamed in front of their community. That they were meant to provide hospitality. They were meant to provide welcome. Like imagine if today you turned up for Father's Day fiesta and we forgot the burgers. Like that would 
not be great, would it, on our part? You turned up ready and there was no ketchup. Is, is the ketchup? Yeah. If we turned up and they're like, I've got the burger, I've got the bun, where is the ketchup? You know, that, that would not be a great moment. Um, and Jesus' mother, Mary, is saying to Jesus, we need to make sure this family isn't shamed. So in the middle of this party, in this middle of the celebration, Jesus turns shame into honor. You know, for some of us today, maybe we're carrying shame and maybe we feel like our life is just marked with regret and pain. Well, the good news for you is Jesus wants to bring celebration to your life. He wants to turn water into wine. And he wants to turn uh, shame and regret into honor and into celebration. And then Jesus goes about, this is kind of the beginning of his ministry. He goes about sharing his central message, which is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, the coming kingdom of God, the dream of God to be fulfilled. But in John's gospel, he uses the language life. In the other gospels, the language of kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is used. But in John's gospel, he keeps talking about this idea of life. Life in all of its fullness. And thinking of um, Joanna's message from last week, let's go to John 10, where we hear about Jesus, the good shepherd. We heard about Jesus, the good shepherd, last week. Well, in John chapter 10, we have a very familiar, famous passage for some of us where Jesus, again, celebrates or models life. John chapter 10. Here's what it says. And this is, this is true for us in this room. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I've come to celebrate. <laughs> I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. The good shepherd invites his people to live the good life. The good shepherd invites his people to live the good life. In the Genesis story, we see that God is a God who creates, who works, who then celebrates. And he invites us to join him with this, with this process of working, of creating, of celebrating, of resting. Jesus arrives and his first miracle is a, a party, is a wedding celebration. And he turns shame into honor. And then he goes around preaching a message about the life, the kingdom of God that's coming and that everybody's invited to join. And he says, as the good shepherd, you, his sheep, are invited to join in the good life. So can I invite you to join in the good life? Here's what that might mean. You know, we need to redeem celebration. We need to decide what we'll choose to celebrate and how we will celebrate. Not celebration as an escapism or excess. No, not celebration just to escape our lives. Or not celebration as an excuse for, for excess. But let's celebrate the things that bring meaning to our lives. And here's my first one. I'm going to throw six things that I want to encourage us to celebrate. And then lastly, we'll talk about practices for celebration. 
But here's six things I want to encourage us to celebrate. Number one, celebrate life. If no one's ever said this to you before, I'd love, I'd have the, this would be a privilege for people to say to you that you are a gift. If no one's ever said that to, be, to you before, that you're precious, that you're loved, well, let me have the privilege of saying to you, you are a gift. We're glad that you're here. You're a gift to this community. You're a gift to your family. You're a gift to your place of work. You're a gift to your community. You are a gift. And every year we get to celebrate the gift that is you. I love this tradition that we have in our culture of birthdays. That every year we just get to say, oh, you didn't choose to be born. <laughs> you know. But every year we get to say to you, we celebrate you. We celebrate that you are here. We celebrate that you are alive. We celebrate that you are with us. And uh, is it anyone's birthday today? I heard, I heard just before the service, it's someone's birthday. I'd love to buy you a cake, Richard, after if that's all right. But it's your birthday today. Well, happy birthday. You are a gift and we celebrate your life. And we celebrate each person in this room. And I encourage you, celebrate life. Maybe today you could think, how do I celebrate the gift that is the person next to me? How do I celebrate the life that is around me? You know, how do I celebrate those that God has put in my life? Maybe rather than seeing other people as a problem or a burden that's in our lives, something that's in the way, you know, how do we celebrate the people that are around us? Secondly, celebrate goodness. You know, recent events show us uh, the hatred and the evil uh, in the world as tragedy after tragedy seems to unfold. And it's just, it's another tragedy, isn't it? More trauma and more difficulty and more pain. But in all of these, what's been incredible, in, in all of these horrible, tragic things that have happened, we see something of goodness. You know, we see something of, of life. We see something of communities saying, actually, we choose to love each other. You know, we choose to help each other. I want to encourage us as a community, let's celebrate goodness. Let's celebrate the goodness in the world. Rather than constantly pointing at all the evil, why don't we celebrate the goodness that's around us? Why don't we celebrate the goodness that's in this room? Thirdly, celebrate creativity. I love this idea that people could just create for the sake of creating. I was listening to an interview last week of a famous uh, author and it was weird, like the first thought that went through my mind was, oh, would it be great to write a book that made you a millionaire? What a weird thought. <laughs> would it be great just to, to write something for the joy of writing, just to create something for the joy of creating? I, I want to encourage some of us maybe to put down the TV remote or to put down the mobile device, a device and pick up a paintbrush, you know, pick up a pen, you know, create something, not so that you could become the next whatever, but just so you could join in. And participate with creation, with, with creating. I want, us to, I want to encourage us to celebrate creativity. Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Pathways, talks about three ways to practice celebration. Enthusiastic worship, which Jeff spoke about a few weeks ago. Spending time with children. You know, if you've got little ones in your family, cherish a spending time with them. Children often remind us of the innocence and simplicity of life. And creative endeavors. Now, what, could you go on a creative endeavor? Could you create something, make something, sculpt something, paint something? Fourth, celebrate faith. I'd love us to celebrate faith in this room, to celebrate people of faith. I'd love us to celebrate people who step out of their comfort zone. Maybe today this is the first time you're here and it was a step of faith. 
you know, it took boldness and bravery to say, I'm coming. I, I'm, I'm, I don't really know what's in that room, but I, I want to be a part of it. I want to come and experience it. We celebrate that in this place. We celebrate faith. We celebrate people of faith. And there's incredible stories all over this room of people who've believed God, who have stepped out in faith, in belief of God. We celebrate hope. The shoots, shoots of spring when all looks lost. And we celebrate love, which is the greatest thing. And here's some practices. Here's some practices I'd love to give us. Hopefully a lot of these things I've said have given you some ideas of what you could inaugurate, what new traditions you could build. But I want to give us some specific practices. And here's a practice that the, the ancient uh, Jewish people had. They had a prayer called Baraka. And prayer simply means a blessing. That for everything, there's a blessing. For everything, we can thank God. We can celebrate in everything. Uh, and I have a friend called uh, Chris. And uh, Chris... Um, leads a church in Sheffield, and he has a, a wonderful wife and two lovely children. Uh, but just before Christmas, uh, Chris's uh, mum died. Uh, Chris's dad died a few years ago. Uh, Chris's mum moved uh, to South Yorkshire uh, just before Christmas to spend more time with her, with her grandchildren and to be part of the community of that church in Sheffield. And out of nowhere, unexpectedly, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. And before they could kind of catch their breath, she was gone. Uh, she'd passed away. And it as you'd imagine, it massively hit the community, that church community, massively hit that family. And Chris is the lead of this church trying to figure out what is our response? Like he's now lost his mom and his dad, 34 years old, wife and two small children. What is going on? What is my response to this? And so Chris decided, that was Christmas 2016, Chris decided to engage in Baraka, to engage in finding something to celebrate. So he set himself the challenge of every day, finding something to be thankful for. Every day, giving himself the challenge of, what can I be thankful for today? Uh, and so Chris uses social media. This is a, a picture from Chris's social media uh, from one particular day. Uh, this was a baptism Sunday in his church where a number of people were baptized. And I checked today, Chris posted something today. Every day in 2017, although Chris is going through tremendous grief and heartache, uh, Chris is choosing, I'm going to practice celebration. I'm going to choose to celebrate something or somebody every day, every day in 2017. What a great practice. Maybe that could become your practice, a Baraka practice. How can I find some way of blessing, finding a blessing, celebrating, being thankful? Maybe for you, it's not a public thing like social media. Maybe it's more of a private discipline. Maybe at the end of your week, I'd encourage you with this. This would be a great discipline. At the end of your week, to practice celebration. Maybe to write down a journal of, here's all the things I'm thankful for this week. It's been a tough week. There's been some bad news. There's been some trauma or tragedy. But this week, I'm going to practice celebration. Here's what I am celebrating in this week. Maybe you could practice celebration by having meals with other people regularly. As I said earlier, in the Old Testament, the festivals, the feasts were marked by eating together. Uh, some of you may have participated yesterday in the, in the great get-together where I think 110,000 different groups met together yesterday all over the UK to celebrate what unites them. I'd encourage you, who could you celebrate life with? Who could you have a meal with this week? Share a meal with other people. That is a great way of practicing celebration. In a moment, we're going to celebrate together. And we're going to celebrate with a great meal together. And Jesus did this. Jesus regularly had meals with other people. Let me lastly encourage you. Maybe you could celebrate other people's wins. 
in a hyper-competitive world, can I encourage you, lift others up. In a hyper-competitive world, what if you practice celebration by lifting other people up, not pulling other people down, not critiquing everybody, but actually by lifting others up. So today, how can you practice celebration? Today, how can you practice thankfulness, baraka? Today, how could you lift somebody else up? Today, how could you celebrate someone else's life or someone else's goodness? How could you celebrate somebody else's faith? And then what I encourage you to do is this week, build on that. What you practice today, repeat it tomorrow and the next day. And then you'll find yourself in a few weeks' time having a formation, having a practice, a discipline of celebration. The inner person begins to be transformed. And then the external person becomes this person who's known and who's famous for celebration. I think that would be awesome. Maybe as a life group this week, you could get together and say, how are we going to practice celebration? How are we going to reflect the heart of God and the heart of celebration to the world around us? Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.